Here we go. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Gabe. Welcome. What's up, Gabe? What's going down, bro? Man, you're looking pretty to be at home, bro. Like, I know that's what we're doing. <laughs> well, Jeez. I wasn't at home. I wasn't at him. I was uh, in the office and that uh, screwed me up was I needed to run an errand before getting home. And what should have been more than enough time turned out to be not nearly enough time. But that tends to happen when there are children involved. Yeah, I know that. Well, <laughs> hence me still being in the office because I was supposed to do this from home. But my my soon to be um, uh, uh, soon to be uh, one of the stepdaughter turns 18. And so I was around running, getting, you know, balloons and stuff that I wanted to have. Her and her mom were out shopping all day. So while they were out, I ran, I ran and got all the balloons and a little cupcake and all the stuff, nice. and, you know, put it around the house for her. Nice. And then by the time I was leaving there, headed back to my house, I was like, shit, I'm not going to have enough time to get home for my next meeting. And so I came here. And then because I've got basically meetings from that one until, you know, until the end of this. Now I feel bad. I guess I'll be sitting in the office. Oh, so all good. I feel bad for keeping you there. Although I was no, going to take this one from the office. But then I got a call that I was the only one able to. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I got to go. So <laughs> Listen, I've been I've sat in this office till 830 p.m. on straight meetings from 8 a.m. before. Oof. Ouch. I feel you. I feel you. How you doing, though? It's good to see you. I have not good, seen man. That beautiful face in too long. I know, bro. It's, I'm doing good. God is good, brother. I'm, I'm very, very blessed. Uh, life is good. ICMCP is growing. My, my my startup is growing. Like everything is, life is real good right now. Right on, right on. I'm very happy to hear that. That's good. Well, you've had a chance to meet my my illustrious co-host, Mr. Ivy. I love the new background, by the way, Cam. I don't like that, is, but but I like that. Jeez. <laughs> well, I, I think I'm it, just trying to. Those look like medicine bottles over in the corner. What the hell is that? You I, I think it's from the the Disney movie Up. Uh, I thought uh, the old the old man sits in that chair. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Because <laughs> so I was gonna say otherwise, it looks like you know you should take out a cigar and and some yeah. cognac or something, right? For sure. Like. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me, as always, my co-host and friend, Mr. Gabe Gums. Gabe, how you doing, man? Well, I'm well. How are you, sir? Another, another fabulous Monday living the dream in paradise. Right. It's not Friday or Wednesday. I know. What's up with that? <laughs> Unfortunately, but... We do, uh, we do have a good guest with us today, a good friend. He is uh, Larry Whiteside Jr., co-founder and president for ICMCP, and he's the chief technology officer and chief security officer at CyberClan. Larry, thanks for coming on the show, man. Hey, listen, I appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. It's good to see you, Larry. It's been a while. Absolutely. It has been too long. You know, this whole pandemic thing we got to deal with, you know, sort of keeping us separated. 
last time I saw you, we were we were at, in San Francisco, and that was the last time I pressed palms with just about anyone, quite frankly. Right. Was, Pretty much. Yes. Right RSA. before the RSA, yep. right before the plan. Oh, you were there too? Yep. Ah, I missed you. I was yep. there as well. Yeah, well, let's start. I, I, I get really busy at RSA. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, that's an understatement. Well, why don't yeah. we start for those that may not know uh may know you, Larry? Why don't you just tell us about yourself? Oh man, so I, I'll go with the edited version, right? So 29 years in, in the field of cyber, right? Or what was information security or info warfare when I was in the uh, military. But I'm an ex-Air Force officer, right? I, I did my did, you know, eight, eight and a half years uh in the Air Force, jumped into the private sector. Um, and I've been doing this a long time. I mean, I've spent the last two decades as a CISO or CSO in, in, in different organizations, financial services, healthcare, uh, energy, um, you know. So it's been, it's been a very, very fun, fun ride. I, I, I love, I think God purpose built me for this career field because I, I truly believe to be successful in cyber, there's a way of thinking that you have to have. Um, and so I, I think he purpose built me. I think some of that also comes from my background, you know, for those who, who grew up in, in underserved, underpoverished areas, you sort of grow up with a risk management mindset because <laughs> every time you go outside, you're, right, you're like, okay, am I going to go this way? What's the risk of going that direction versus the risk of going this direction versus right. the, the risk of what colors I wear? So, um, but um, overall, man, I'm just, you know, I'm just a guy who's, who, who was blessed enough to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, I've got a lot of good friends in this industry and I've been, I've been, I'm very thankful for where I am today and what I've been able to accomplish thus far. Well, I hear you. It's been as someone who's uh, known you throughout part of that journey. It's been, it's been an interesting ride and I've, it's been my pleasure to, uh, to have witnessed it up close and, and uh, on the sidelines a little bit. Um, why don't we first dive into uh, one of those focus areas in your background? Cam mentioned that you are co-founder and president of the ICMCP. What's the ICMCP for those that? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so ICMCP, you know, it is literally um, an organization geared at increasing diversity in cyber, like at its most basic function. And I, and we define diversity by, BIPOC women and LGBTQ plus, right? We, we recognize that there's not enough representation of, of those entities across the board in cybersecurity, including leadership, right? We need more people that look like what the world looks like to represent this industry because we recognize the value of diversity. And, and, and with each of those, they bring diversity of thought, diversity of background, and all those other things that make up the, the diversity narrative. So um, it's been interesting. So, you know, in 2014, when, when uh, there's five of us who are sort of co-founders of the organization sort of came together saying that, hey, we need to do something because we had been you know, all of us travel, we do the RSAs, we do the, the Gartner Security Conference, we do, you know, Black Hat and DEF CON, we do all these different little boutique security conference, Secure World and so forth. And, you know, and some of us speak, but we, we came, when we came together, we just had gotten to the point where we're like, why do we not see more of us at the conferences and on stage, right, getting opportunities to present and show um, uh, and demonstrate our capability. And so we sort of came together to form this organization, it's been a it's been a very interesting uh, ride, right? Because nothing grow, goes as you 
think it will when you come together to begin it. And so we've had our ebbs and flows, our up and downs, and and um, but we're in a good place. Um, you know, I took the role. I stepped out on faith uh, in January of 2020, um, and just through prayer and opportunity, ended up stepping into the role because at that t- the timing associated with where I was in my life, it, I just had the time to be able to take it on and, and do it. And we've been we've been building. 2020 was actually a good year for us. Um, and we are about to release a number of different programs that, that we think are going to help our members and those in the industry who want to become a member of ICMCP to really start taking those next steps. Because, you know, today I, I get faced with a lot of questions from people. One of them is, how do I get into uh, into cybersecurity, right? And so that's people who are cross-training. That's people who are graduating from school, right? Hey, I, I just got my master's degree in cyber. Hey, well, how do I get a job? Hey, I, I, I'm coming out of IT. How do I get a job? What certification should I take? And so as we started thinking about this, we started putting together uh, what are the programs and things that we think are going to be impactful for people who are on this journey. And that includes people who, you know, want to go on the CISO journey, right? I get asked that question multiple times a week. How do I become a CISO, right? And my first, my first response is, are you sure you want to be a CISO? Because <laughs> a lot of people don't realize everything that it takes to be a CISO or recognize what that journey looks like. But, um, but you know, just trying to really make a difference. For me, it is I enjoy and am extremely passionate about trying to give other people guidance based on my own missteps, right? Um, uh, if you think about all of us, right, that have just growing up, you've got grandparents, you've got other elderly people in your life that you've always gone to and said, hey, you know, how did you deal with this back then? And so I feel honored that I'm in a position where I can share some of those things, even though the industry is changing, there's a lot that still hasn't changed. And and being able to just share that with people through ICMCB has been probably uh, the most impactful thing I've done in my life outside of my children. That's awesome, man. That's fabulously awesome. Is there, is there one thing that you can point to or a series of things? Cause probably not one thing that you can point to uh, throughout the, the transformation that ICMP has gone through that you point to, and you're really proud of, and just the inception of the group in particular, I, I know is huge. And what it sounds like you're about to launch is massive. Also, I'm sure there are a series of things, but, but maybe, maybe I narrow that question just over the last year because the last year has been a trying one for everyone. You know, what's one of the things or one of the stories that's come out of the ICMP that that you're particularly proud of? So, so honestly, just the fact that in the last year we were able to pivot the organization, and I say we because yeah, I'm, I I have the title of president, but I'm gonna tell you, literally. Um, there is so many volunteers and there are so many people helping me, right? I, ha- I happen to be the person who's sort of out in front and talking about this and doing th- podcasts and things like this to talk about us as, a, as an org. But really, in 2020, the people that came together to help change the narrative and, and, and move, change our direction a little bit to start building these programs strategically has been the most impactful thing, right? That, that for me has been, because, you know, in a pandemic year, when you talk about, you know, organizations who are um, losing budget, you talk about organizations who are cutting costs and doing all these other things because they were faced with something new that they didn't know what to do, right? Uh, people aren't going out, which means, you know, all these retail places are losing, are losing revenue and so forth, 
right? So, so for us to still be able to a get sponsors in the, the, a down year, uh, for us to be able to pivot the organization in a down year and still build programs that are going to be valuable to our members. I mean, 2020 was amazing. It was, it was. I'm extremely proud of what we as a collective have been able to accomplish, and and uh, which has enabled us to come into 2020, right, hitting the ground running, uh, getting ready to release these programs that we spent, you know, the last year curating. Right? A lot of information we found. So, like one of the things I found in 2020 is that I had never thought about, but but once I identified it, it seemed so simple. As it relates to diversely hiring, I don't think I know any companies who don't want to hire diversity in cyber. None. I don't think there are any companies who have cyber programs that don't want to hire diverse candidates. Right? I've talked to dozens, if not hundreds of them. But what became a central theme was everybody's got a sourcing problem. Right? So when I asked them, what have you done differently? Right, for for hiring, if you want to hire diverse candidates, what are the things you're doing differently? And that you know, every now and then you'll hear, well, we partnered with an HBCU, right? Or we partnered with a university, or we partnered. But they, they their partnerships are singular in nature, or their partnerships are just not vast because where they need to hire, they don't have local resources and connections, or where the headquarters are, there aren't there aren't diverse resources for them to connect to. And I was like, oh. And it became clear everybody's got a sourcing problem because nobody knows where to go. There's no one entity that exists out there that people can go to and say, hey, we want to hire diverse cyber candidates. We're going to go, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. that became my thing for 2020. And I said, you know what? We can become a source, right? ICMCP, because at the end of the day, right, butts and seats, right, to, to make the industry more diverse, we got to get butts and seats. And then for those in the industry, we've got to get them skilled up so that mm-hmm. they achieve some of their career goals to move up the ladder, yeah. right? So if we become a source for diverse candidates, right? So for those who are looking for CISO roles, right? So for those hiring entities that want to find diverse CISO, come to us, right. right? We've got a bunch of mid-level managers, senior managers, junior executives that may fit in a CISO role, Right. As their first CISO role, depending on the size and scope. Right. right? And so it's been a lot of the, those types of dialogues that got me to realize this could be a way that we really help the industry more holistically. Right. right. And then right. what that does is it's giving us a, a broader voice and a platform because now more entities are coming to us and partnering with us. And so when when, you know, when a, um, when somebody sees Google, they're like, well, Google works with you guys. Well, maybe we should think about working with you, right? <laughs> when they see some of those big names, right? They see a, a Microsoft or they see a Target or they see right, they see some of these big names, Palo Alto. I'm like, huh, wait, those guys are working with you too, right? It becomes now this landscape that draws in others because they recognize that what we're doing is offering value. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You are solving for one of the things that I wax on about often for those that follow the show regularly or any of the other random musings I, I, I spew on the interwebs. But uh, I, I have a very holy war against the phrase, you know, there's a, 
there, there's a cybersecurity uh, hiring shortage. Like there's a skills gap. And, and for me, it's really two things. Thing one is it's a technology problem. We've got a lot of technology that's really difficult to approach and use. And thing two, it's very much a, a lack of being able to, to source candidates that don't necessarily fit a very myopic profile of what a cybersecurity candidate is, right? And that, that includes backgrounds. That includes someone that may not have come directly from security, but has all of the skills and acumen to perform that, that, that function. Um, so I appreciate that. That's, that's all. I call it an HR problem. That is an HR problem. That is right? an HR. Because when you think about it, so we as hiring entities, right, we put a job description together, right? But then all of the prerequisites get filled in by HR, partially based on a number of things, one of which is salary bands, mm-hmm. right? So when, because, because in cyber, we make a little bit more than your general IT roles, so, but when you compare salary bands, what HR does is they say, well, this band has these hard requirements against it. And this band has these right. hard requirements. So as you start putting a salary band tied to a role, they then start saying, oh, you know, four-year degree required. Well, wait, what? Right. Well, well I know many people in cyber that have no degree that are doing exceptionally well and are amazing at what they do. Right. Or they'll say the certifications mandatory. And, and so the more you do, the more you start moving away from having diverse candidates, because let's be very clear, the percentage of diverse candidates that are going to college and are going to complete a degree is way smaller than their non-diverse counterparts. So you just X out a large percentage of people. You, you, you hit on some of the obvious ones, but there's some there's, there's some of the more nefarious ones. And, and I use the word nefarious, even though I, I believe wholeheartedly that they are mostly just you know, out of ignorance, which is to say, just don't know, but there are ones that tie those salary bands to years of requirements for technologies that haven't even been around that long. But because to your point that, you know, there, there's this perceived, well, it's cybersecurity, right. so we've got to tack on plus three to everything. It's oh. like, ah, Kubernetes experience, you should have 10 years. It's like, but, but it hasn't been around for 10 years. Right. Right. <laughs> so, right. No, it's, it's crazy. Right. We want, we've got an entry level role, but we need you to have one to three years experience. Right. That, that doesn't <laughs> Tell me more about that. Like, yeah. right. I think yeah. that's one of the biggest gaps uh, when it's when it comes to hiring anybody in any job is that they look at that that four year degree. Nope, they don't have it. See you later. Do you right. know what you, you do? Do you know what you just threw away? You don't know their personality. You don't know how successful they'll be just because they don't have a four year degree. So many people thrown away that that land in another position or, or a better spot for themselves anyways. Wow. But I'll equally happens add. all the time. And then there's also a lot of four-year degrees that folks just don't think are applicable. You know, when, right. when I first entered cybersecurity, most folks had degrees in lots of things that were not cybersecurity, largely because one didn't exist. So one didn't we had exist. lots of English majors and tons of engineers, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers. And I still see some room for those types of folks making their, their way into cybersecurity. But I'll take a mechanical engineer most days of the week over, you know, some of the cybersecurity uh, degrees I've oh, seen out there, quite frankly. So I, I'll tell you. I, so, so my daughter is graduating with a cyber degree, uh, and uh, in May, and I've hired a number of interns from colleges locally. She didn't go to a college locally; she went to uh, Virginia Union. But mm-hmm. I've hired a number of interns from Florida, or, and I shouldn't even say hired. I've brought in a number of interns from FIU. From, from USF, from UCF, right, who are taking quote-unquote cyber programs. And I get them in there, and what they know about the field of cyber 
is ridiculous because they just have not been educated. I've asked every one of them, every single one of them, what do you want to do when you graduate? What role are you interested in having? And every one of them from every school thus far has said, well, I don't know. What roles are there? I, I, they, I haven't been told what roles exist. I just know I want to work in cyber. Right. I'm like, how is that possible that you are in your last semester of a cyber program and you have no idea of the roles that exist in the field? Right. If you don't even know the roles that exist, you know, how are you to know which one to go into? But there does seem to be, uh, it seems to be a little bit of a gap there. And, and roles do change quickly in our I shouldn't say they change quickly, but they certainly evolve and new ones spring right. up every several years. Right. right. You know, you have DevSecOps things pop up and yes. privacy is going to be a role that's going to keep popping up more and intersecting with, with security. And yep. I, I fear that's going to be another one that's going to be lagging behind where you and I are going to be having a similar conversation about privacy in five years. You're going to be telling me how the ICMP right. won the, the next the next Gula Tech Foundation Award so that you can solve for the privacy problem. By the way, congratulations right. on that Gula Tech finalist announcement yes that, that was great we, we didn't awesome. win but listen uh there were a lot of good orgs in there um it was it was great to see that there's so many people trying to solve the problem right yeah. and so for me it was that piece seeing that there are so many organizations that are committed to trying to solve the problem that made me feel good that we were even considered so that's awesome that's you mentioned the the cybersecurity programs i see that those ads pop up on my phone and and uh, social media all the time. Like, get your degree in one year. Yes, right. I right. Like, oh, yep. it's, it's. I I don't know. I must be listening to my conversations. What they don't tell you is get your degree in one year, lose your sanity in six weeks. Right. <laughs> right. So I'm curious, Larry. Uh, <clears throat> security and privacy. What do they mean to you personally when you hear data privacy? What does that mean to you? Have you ever so, had so, experiences? Yeah, so you know, I've I've had privacy as a role as a CISO, right? So um, we don't often call it, especially in healthcare. Healthcare is one of the entities that has blended, specifically because the way the regulation is written, security and privacy sort of go together under HIPAA, right? And so I've I've held the the, the privacy responsibility, but for me, privacy is personal, right? So so when it comes to privacy. That is about me personally. Cybersecurity is not about personal. It's just about protection, right? But privacy is personal. Um, but I also realize nothing's personal anymore. <laughs> at, at this point in time where we're at, there is nothing you have that is private. We might like to live in the fallacy that we have things that are private, but there are tons of websites that you can go to and you can simply put your name or and your email address in there and it'll tell you, oh yeah, oh yeah, you've got like your stuff is out there, right? You can go off and check the boxes where you impact them. Did, did you get a notification for this, 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 and this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much everything is out there, right? And literally the second most important number that we have, which is our birthday, we all put out there publicly on damn near everything that we're we're connected to socially. So Privacy is 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 important, but it's not what it was 20 years ago. And so we have to, I think there's going to be a, a redefinition of what privacy is. Because privacy now to me is about enabling me to have a choice. Right? That's what privacy is today. 
Today, privacy is moving towards me as an individual having a choice in whether you as a company can do certain things with my information, whether it's capturing it or whether it's once you capture it, whether you can use it, right, for anything, whether it's selling it to third parties, utilizing it in, in demographics, whatever. It's it's control. And that's that's for me, that's that's the piece I like that we're moving towards is giving entities, individuals the ability to decide what you can or cannot do with their data. Because man, listen, Facebook, <laughs> uh, how many people change like like stop using WhatsApp when Facebook changed the WhatsApp user policy? Yeah. Every CISO I know jumped off of WhatsApp immediately. And I had multiple CISO groups and every one of them said, ah, WhatsApp is done. New privacy policy, we're out. Yeah. Right? That's that's been a huge shift. It's so much so, and, and and I agree with your take on on uh, the way you phrase it. Choice. I think over the last two episodes, we touched specifically on the agency that you have as a human being uh, over your data and returning that agency to yourself, right? Which mm-hmm. is which is what a lot of GDPR CCPA has has aimed to do. Really give that agency back to you so that you have control of it. That that data is worth a lot. It's yep. not worth a lot to you, arguably, in terms right. of monetary value. Uh, in terms of monetary value, it's obviously worth a lot to you, but it's not worth a lot to you in terms of monetary value uh, because the the purchasers of the, of that data has, by and large, been the, the people that control it also, right? Which is to say, like, Facebook sets a value of your data at zero, right? Like, to you. Like, they – they think that Larry should get zero dollars for it, but right. they yep. but they set a different value when they sell it, and so now we have uh, what I think is is somewhat of an epic proxy battle of brewing between Facebook and Apple, right? So in late December, Apple changed their policies in iOS fourteen so that um, apps that that uh, that traffic in, in three different data types will have to tell you that data that's directly linked to you, indirectly linked to you and or used to track you. So now they'll have to tell you one of those three things and ask your permission to do so. But more importantly, they've also made it such that your app cannot be contingent upon you saying no to any of those three for the app to work, which basically means you can't say no. And it's like, oh, sorry, Larry, can't use the app. So it's like the app still has to work, but now you have to give Larry that agency over those three things. Needless to say, Facebook, they're not too happy about it. They're not too happy about it. Yeah, (laughs) think. You think this, this is not this is not fair. Now, wh- while it sounds like Apple's out here doing yeoman's work, the truth is, what Apple has done is they've said, "Here's another path, developers, to revenue for you. Instead of relying on collecting data, why don't you get them to subscribe to your app? There's there's another way for you to make money: get them to subscribe and pay continuously for the value that they get right now. Of course, this is beneficial to Apple because what does Apple do? They take, take, a percentage. take a little something off the top, right? Yep, like, a little 30%. House, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So they get to wet their beak a little too. Exactly. Um, I'll tell you, my concern is I like, I like what they're doing and I like how that might force everyone else to, to uh, treat my data. Um, and, but then it puts this burden of, well, so now in order for me to get the benefit of those apps, I have to pay for it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, of digital injustice on the horizon as this battle and battles similar to this continue to uh, to play out. And, and what I'm kind of curious as, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, is is the ICMP 
the, the kind of place that is going to be set up to help fight these additional dig- digital injustices. Because as we start monetizing our own data, as places like Tap My Data allow you to sell your data, you and I both know well, data from different zip codes are going to be worth different amounts. And so some folks are going to get left out of this game to some degree or not get like. That's you, interesting. You, I'll be honest. So I hadn't even thought about it, right? It hadn't even, we've been so focused on trying to ensure that we are uh, building programs to enable people uh, to take advantage of, to increase the diversity numbers in the game. Um, we hadn't even thought about what that looks like, right? And how there are these other aspects of injustice happening against people of color that will sort of, but see, that's more of a conversation on the makeup of the financial system in the U.S. and how it consistently finds ways to carve out those that it wants to keep to the side and keep under a rock versus those that it doesn't, right? And this is just another mechanism to to further enforce that from my perspective, which is, so for me, one of the things that I constantly say when I'm talking about the field of cybersecurity is I say, hey, don't do it for the money, right? Do, do not do, because... Um, uh, doing it for the money, you will be tired quickly because mm-hmm. the, there's there's a lot of hours that we put in. You can have a 120-hour week and you can have a 20-hour week, but they're both going to come, right? Mm-hmm. But I do say that if you do love it, and you, this, this field can be a socioeconomic game changer for you and your family for generations, right? My children have benefited from me being in this field and have will never experience any of the things that I dealt with growing up. Zero, right? Because I'm in a field that allowed me to provide them a lifestyle that they, that I never knew, mm-hmm. right? And so they've been able to see things. They've been able to experience things. They've been able to experience cultures that are outside the realm of anything I even thought about before joining the military and before getting into this career field, right? So, there's a lot that this career field has to offer, but there are those pieces, right? So you you talked about that piece as it relates to privacy and data. We've also got the AI piece. It's, there's some recent studies come out um, uh, as it relates to the, the uh, bias that's been built into AI models, oh, yeah. right? And, and, and so um, uh, I can't remember the name of the school. So, but a big university that we're partnering with out of uh, California is working through some of that. They've got a big initiative around changing the dynamics in AI to try and be more inclusive so that the algorithms and models that are utilized in AI don't have such bias built into them. And so it's been it's been very, very interesting. Berkeley, that's what it is. So Cal Berkeley. Uh, um, and so it's been very interesting. But that, that topic you brought up, I hadn't even thought about what well, I apologize does. for throwing more landmines on you, but no, I'll, no, let, no, you, it's, I'll no, let you marry it. I enjoy it them. I know. I, I enjoy it because my, my, my mind is working all the time. And so this is just another thing for me to start thinking through of um, uh, another area in which we've got to ensure that we are capturing, understanding, and beginning to message around things that need to change, yeah. right? Because let's be clear, the likelihood that these underserved communities are even going to know that there's an opportunity for them to sell their data. Slim to nil. Slim to nil. Right, right, right. right? 
I've got some folks that were on the show recently that uh, I, I think you should have a conversation with. We'll, we'll definitely make sure we make those connections because they're leading the forefront in bringing that type of technology to, to the masses, which I think is just so fabulously powerful and liberating and necessary. Yes. Um, so yep. it would be good to make sure that, that, that it, it found its reach across all socioeconomic levels. That would be Agreed. Fabulous. Agreed. So, Larry, how would one go about preparing for data security and privacy regulations in your position? What do you think about every day? How do how do you how do you kind of face that? So it's a lot of reading. I mean, you, you've got to you really got to stay in the know, right? Because the regulations are changing regularly, right? That like there's a constant, you know, policy change. There's a constant dependent. You know, if you're a global organization, you got to figure out what each individual country is trying to do as it relates to to privacy uh, and security regulations in their specific area. Right. Um, being a, being a CTO of a global MSSP. Right. Um, I've got to think through the data sovereignty issues that every customer has before they even bring them to my attention. Right. Based on the country that they're in and what they're dealing with uh, in, in each of those geographies. So um, it's really just a lot of reading. Like I subscribe to uh, a, a lot of blogs and a lot of different things that are just feeding me, whether it be Twitter whether it be other things that are feeding my mailbox that I parse, right? And so based on the blog, they get parsed into separate folders. So I can then go into that folder and read, oh, this is my privacy folder here, some updates that I'm seeing, right? So like I've got a crypto folder that I created recently. So as I started, you know, investing in crypto a little bit, that I can get some updates on different things related to crypto. And so it's just, it's that type of thing. We're If in this industry, if you're going to do anything, and this is outside of certifications, you got to be a constant learner. Like in this industry, if you are not constantly learning, right, through reading, watching webinars, listening to audiobooks, whatever your model of consumption is, if you are not constantly learning, you are going to fall behind very, very quickly because there are so many moving parts that are happening, right? There are so many things, regulations changing, privacy rules. There are so many things adding, new new roles coming up. Like, could, can you think, 10 years ago, did we think the data science was going to be a cyber role? Who would ever thought that a data scientist would be a role that you had in your cybersecurity organization? But I can tell you, I know a number of CISOs who have a data scientist in their org because we've gotten to the point where we've got so much security data that we need somebody who can come in, right? We're, we're talking petabytes of security data being generated, right, every year, right? And, and I'm talking about one org. I can't name the name, but they've got petabytes of security data that they generate a year, right? What, what, do, you, what do you do with petabytes of security data? 15 years ago, like, we, we weren't even close to that, you know? So, so yeah, so it's... it's um. It's interesting, but you've got to be a constant learner. You've got to be you, you've got to be open to new things, new ideas, right? The cloud and, and all the microservices, right? So now we're we've moved off off of the, the OSI model, right? Because you know the TCP IP layer and all that's gone, right? So IP is now disappearing in the cloud world because you're having all these micro microservices talk to each other, right? If you're a security guy, you got to understand that. You got to know what the hell that means, what that communication string looks like, how it communicates, what you can, where you can inject yourself to make sure you've got visibility, right? So that you can monitor and potentially alert when things in there look bad, right? It's, it is an insanely fast moving space. 
curiosity. I love it. Yeah, curiosity is necessary. That's what we. It's kind of one of the things we push on this show the most. Really, is uh, keeping folks curious. Anything in particular that that you're uh, particularly curious about right now? Any podcast you listen to, other than obviously Privacy Please? Is it is on your playlist? <laughs> I mean, I know you can't wait for the Wednesday drops. Oh no, he didn't. But what else? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you know, so I've actually got. I, I think besides you guys, I literally only have two other podcasts that. that in the cyber space that I listen to. Um, and one is, I want to one is down the security rabbit hole with my buddy, Raph. I love right? it. So Raph's, Raph's awesome. Yeah. Raph, Raph is great. And then the other is, I was actually just freaking listening to it. Um, uh, where is it? Oh, and IT, ITSP magazine. So my buddy, Sean over there, right? Sean, Sean has a lot of, a lot of good stuff, but there was another one um, that is done by, Oh, I have that. Oh, CISO Security Vendor Relationship Podcast. Hmm. So, so that one's good because when he started it, right, um, it was really about helping vendors understand and and CISOs have a dialogue about the dynamic of the relationship, right? Because if you think about it, we get hit up by vendors left. And right for everything. Right? Hey, I've got the best thing since sliced bread. No, I've got the best thing since sliced bread. What keeps you up at night? Because I can help you sleep, right? Like it's it's like every <laughs> soothsayer and everything, right? That you can think of as they come to you. And then what happens is they don't understand why they don't get replies and responses. And you know, people, oh man, these these CISOs, they think they're bigger than, and they don't. This person won't respond, and this right. And so uh, he started this to try and bring a dialogue so that both sides sort of got and understood each other's perspective a little bit more, right? Salespeople have a job to do. They get it. They want to sell you the tech, but they need to understand our role and be respectful of how they approach us. And you can't approach us like a used car salesman. You've got to approach us, right? Do a little bit of research. Know a little bit about my organization. Know a little bit about me and who I am. Know if I'm a technologist and know if I'm if I'm an audit person or, or if, you know, if I'm a techie guy, then approach me in a way that's going to be meaningful to me. But you can't approach all of them and just do a blast and mm-hmm. say, hey, here's 50 CISOs and send the same email out to everybody because it's just not going to resonate. So he's got a pretty good one. He has some good folks in there. Yes. I've spent a lot of my career in that in that kind of seat, reaching out to to folks like yourself. And I would say the number one thing that matters to to reaching out to anybody that you don't know is first of all, get to know them, research them, personalize your message and be persistent because it's all about timing with you. You're going to open up an email one day. It's going to be perfect timing. You'll be like, actually, (laughs) this might be helpful. Just so happy. (laughs) No, no. And, but that's 100% right. But you would, Mm -hmm. it's amazing how little people put, into that just basic little thing of getting to know, right? I get emails today from both recruiters and vendors. Recruiters will say, hey, I can help you recruit for, for, for uh, cybersecurity people for ICMCP. I'm like, I don't need cybersecurity staff. Do you know anything about what this organization does? Like just read, just read one thing, right? That or mind clicking two links. Two links, <laughs> like, like literally, right? I also get vendors who literally come to me saying, hey, we can help secure your environment, right? We've got this cybersecurity widget widget, right? It's the da-da-da, and it'll help protect your, your, your network. We can, I'm like, 
what do you what 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 are you talking about right and so i've gotten to a point where now i respond very politely to them and i go through a couple of points about knowing your audience right and and i hope and and what i always ended with is i hope you take something from this so that you'll be better tomorrow yeah. That's it. Right. I can't because I can't control what they do or don't do. I don't get I don't get angry or, or frustrated about it anymore. I just realize that sometimes people just need to be educated and whether they choose to listen or not, that's on them. But I've uh, it's and it's really it's interesting for me. Starting that became was part of my spiritual journey of when I realized that 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 things around me weren't going as I wanted to both professionally and personally. And I needed to take a step back. I dove back into devotions and, and basically ever since then, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got a routine and how I respond to people. Everything about my life has changed since then. Everything. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm going to throw it in there too. Cause, cause I think folks should listen to it. There's one more podcast I've been listening to recently. <laughs> top of the list. If you haven't got a chance to check it out, um, Nick Selby launched his podcast just recently. They've been talking about it for a while. It did like okay. five days ago, like, Five days ago, easily. Tech Debt Burndown podcast. Well, by the time we launch this, it'll probably be a few more days. But yeah, you got to check out the Tech Debt Burndown. Yeah, but make sure you listen to us first and then well, and go check. I mean, if you listen to this to hear me say that, I assume. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. fair. Make sure you come back here after you listen to Nick Selby wax on. Come back here. (laughs) Finish listening to us. Then go on over to spirit.com where you can not be messed up. <laughs> that's fair. That's www.wheresyourcreditcard.com. No. <laughs> have you guys enjoyed this? How have you guys enjoyed your podcast journey? Oh man, I'll let I'll let Cam go. It's been fun, Larry. Um, first of all, I get to meet people like yourself because I'm not trying to sell you something. So it's been it's been such a great experience being in the industry, not as long as both of you. Um, but just the people we get to meet, the community that has been created since we started this podcast and how many other podcasts have, have kind of come up. It's pretty amazing. It's um, I'm excited to see this, what this next year brings. Cause we, we accomplished a lot in the first year and we're just excited that, I mean, all these guests that come on are just awesome. Just nice. learning so much. We could rename this podcast the hallway track, and that's what it is for me, especially in the absence of of the actual hallway tracks at, at all of the, the conferences. Mm-hmm. Where you and I would have we'd have the same conversation. We'd have had that same yep. conversation about selling your data, but we would have had it, you know, literally in a hallway or or in a lobby right. of a hotel or something. And so for me, it's been really amazing to bring my hallway track conversations to life for everyone else to just kind of eavesdrop on. And, you know, cause typically, you know, that conversation would happen that way. And then we'd both go off and we'd talk about it some more with some other folks. And then maybe we'd come back together again and, you know, kind of do that thing back and forth. But, but this just gives an instant amplification to that conversation now. Right. It lets people eavesdrop on it. It's uh, it's like our yeah. personal version of clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So Larry, How, have you guys jumped on that? On clubhouse uh, yet? You know, I'm on clubhouse and it's funny. I, I thought about, I thought about bringing it to Cam and discuss whether or not we should like have, you know, like a privacy police clubhouse 
pages because so we could totally fire one up. I don't know. I, I'm on there. I listen to some stuff. I noticed that, you know, from an ecosystem, an eco chamber, forget system, that the security eco chamber has, is heavily there already. Like, yes, uh, yeah, a lot of the folks that, that you expect and all the same folks that, that, that we interact with over on Twitter are, are all already over there. So I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll 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 dabble a bit more so far i've been i've been a quiet observer and listener i haven't yeah. I haven't done a lot of talking but yeah maybe well, you should join. like make waiting. sure you follow me right and we've got an icmcb channel uh but i've also got a fireside chat a room that i do with a number of different big time CISOs, right uh you know and so you should you should check it out done deal and what do you we mean have fun i will it's, it says they'll email me when i'm at, when i'm I'll fix, that. I'll fix that problem at the end of the show. <laughs> invite. I, yes. I got invites. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll fix that problem and send you an invite. And then, See, Larry, we got a guy that has a guy. We got, we got there a guy. we go. <laughs> and so, then, uh, yeah. Fun, fun question real quick. Sure. If, you had, if you had a $100 budget and you had to, the, you're starting your data security and privacy program from the, the ground up, where would you start? $100? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go buy a bottle of liquor because I've got, I got, I got, I got nothing. The judges that's will the, accept that answer. That's one of the realest answers, <laughs> like, right there. Because it's gonna be a long week, like a hundred dollar budget. Yeah, literally, I'm gonna go buy some liquor because it, it, it's gonna be me, right, sitting in front of my computer, right, opening up a command line, really just trying to trying to get busy because there's there's not a whole lot you're gonna do. Nope. Um, uh, with that in our industry today. And it's amazing how far things have gone from a budgetary spin size of cyber orgs standpoint. It was unheard of in the late 90s and early 2000s to have a team of over 2,000 people in your cyber unit. Like it was, it was unheard of. That is and that, yeah, it, it's, I mean, it was it was unthinkable, right, at that time to be an engineer or an architect, right, making what at that point would have been CISO money, right? I remember when the CISO salary hit a median of 175K in the in the mid-2000s, right? And everyone was like, whoa, we balling. I literally literally saw an architect role post the other day in New York for 275 base for an architect. Wow. I know, I know at least a dozen CISOs in the seven figure club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was, unheard, it wasn't even thinkable. Wasn't even something you thought about 15 years ago, not even close so it's been very interesting to see the transition. Watching the money thrown around. How many billion dollar cyber companies are there now? Oh yeah. Hot question though. Are we any safer? Nope. That's the nope. That's Because we still don't do the basics. We still and, and here's the crazy part. Like, let's let's think about this. The 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 know what you have, right? Just just know because if you don't know what you have, nothing else matters, right? You can't protect it. You can't like know what you just that simple principle. We haven't gotten down yet, All right? Okay, let's let's take the next step. All right, know who has access to it. 
nope, still not there, still not there either, right? So, so what are we, <laughs> what are we doing, right? So apparently it, we're balling. That's <laughs> oh no, he's there. <laughs> it's yeah. So it's a uh, it's an interesting paradigm. We have this security one on one conversation a lot. The one thing I'll say that's become interesting is to watch. CISOs now take ownership of things like infrastructure, right? So where, you know, the CISO was really more, as the role got built, the CISO was more of an advisor, right? It was an advisor. What should we do? What shouldn't we do? What's the risk associated with doing this? Like, and, and a watcher, right? So you advise, and then you, then you watch the hen house. You advised them how they should build a hen house, and then you watched it. You oversaw it. You were an overseer, right? But now there are organizations that are saying, hey, see, so why don't you own constructing some of this stuff, right? And so because then the, the, the interesting part becomes now if you own constructing it, you've got more authority to put the controls in place that you need as part of it. And you're not, it's not mother may I, it's not, you know, you recommending it's now you own it. So you get to build it as long as it's still enabling the business. Right. And so I, I like the direction. Um, and so it's just, it's interesting to watch, but it's, there's, there's Larry, not a lot of organizations that's done it. Let me get a little tactical on that one. If I can, for a second, is yep. that sustainable? Because you and I were discussing, the three of us were just discussing not too long ago, uh, you know, the the influence of of the the DevOps world and infrastructure as code as part of the cybersecurity landscape. You you alluded to some of those things being abstracted away in the cloud, you know, with Kubernetes clusters, et cetera. So, so as infrastructure has become code and has and as code now has access to data as well, too, you know. Uh, is the CISO going to have to own infrastructure? Is the CISO going to have to own IT infrastructure? Is the CISO going to have to own the applications? Yes. If the applications are written such that they have serverless code that touches an S3 bucket. Yes, which is why this whole DevSecOps is becoming a thing because DevOps is starting to live under security, right? At, because, because in the cloud, infrastructure has been blurred, right? So what used to be code, and then you had code that rode on infrastructure, and then you had security that was this bubble around all of that, mm -hmm. has now been molded and blurred into this one mesh of stuff. Mm -hmm. So you can't have them in three separate organizations because literally they're all touching the same things, right? When they're writing code, the code that they're writing makes up the infrastructure. Part of the infrastructure code that they're writing has security code built into it, right? That's intertwined and weaved into it, right? You've got APIs inside the application that's being built to communicate, right? Across this is what we were talking about, this non-TCP communication that happens inside the code where data gets moved around, where access controls are utilized, right? Where you've got certificates in place, right, that are passing, right, the, this encrypted uh, 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 traffic in between, like all of that is bundled together. So it, it can't live outside of security. It can't live in this separate place because if security is really going to be responsible, right, and not just an advisor, it has to happen. And we haven't even 
started digging into the the additional layer that is privacy on top of that because nope. you can have security without privacy but you know you but uh but you certainly can't have privacy without security and so that that has some natural uh lineage dna structures whatever you want to refer to it as it has some natural uh ties back to security as well yep. and and that equally you know same topic there too it's like so so now now are we going to have the right set of professionals armed with the right uh, with, with the right mindsets and budgets and everything else to approach this problem? Well, uh, where do people go to, to learn this? Here, here's the challenge, right? It, it's great, right? Because you and I can sit here and talk about it because for some of us, there's logical sense associated with why and how these things come together. Right. Yeah. But if you can't apply, if, if if the way you think this is not logical, where do people go to learn this? The, the right. The code piece the the now integrated with the infrastructure, now integrated with uh, the cloud security things that are now. Where do you go to learn that? Right. Are CISOs going into Amazon training thing? And no, they're not doing it. Right, because there's some technical aspects to it. So where can you go? There has been a place built where CSOs can go to learn the theory and logic behind a lot, of, a lot of these things that are being built. I happen to be a nerd still, right? And so a lot of this interests me. So I, I like looking at a lot of these architectures and, and looking at YouTube videos of these different things and going in and, and watching people play with it, right? I don't want to understand how to do this at a keyboard level ever, but I like understanding it at a theoretical level so that I can speak to it because I understand how the pieces fit together. Mm-hmm. Right. But what, but where are people going to learn? And this is why we talked earlier, right? I'll reiterate, you gotta be a constant learner. Gotta be constant. constant. Yeah, because... I didn't actually have an answer for you. And then I sat and I thought to myself, damn it, is that a challenge, Larry? Because I literally <laughs> thought over the week, it was like, I have a bunch of material on this very topic. And I was like, I should just put it together. And I'm like, where the hell am I going to find a time to do that? But you're right. Where do they go to learn it? And and I could think of a solid uh, one class, 12 hour module to just, you know, introduce people to the concepts, et cetera. But I don't know, maybe it exists out there somewhere and, and, and I'm just not thinking about it. But now, but now I'm going to shit fair myself and I'm probably going to try and actually do this and put it together. I'm going to regret it. <laughs> and I'm going to blame you, Larry. I'm going to blame you. I'm going to hey, look it. back at this moment and say, Larry did this to me. I've, I've been blamed for worse. All <laughs> good. <laughs> All fair. <laughs> Um, so before we go to our, our last topic or our last section, did you have anything that you wanted to bring up that we didn't ask you about, Larry? No, no, I'm good. I'm listen. Good. I am a I'm a mouthpiece. I'll talk about pretty much anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be we'll be uh, sure to share uh, everything in the share uh, in the show notes that uh, that you want to kind of shout out and have, right. have everybody have access to. So. Let's go ahead and jump into our last section, which is our deep, dark secrets to get to know Larry a little bit more. Um, So this is our fun section, be a little bit different from other podcasts, at least in this realm. And uh, we'll go ahead and start off with a fun one. If if your life was made into a movie, what, what genre do you think it would be and who would play you? Ooh, um, so it would be, um, it would be, uh, an inspirational heartfelt story. Um, and it would be played by, um, 
probably by um, uh, so there's got to be somebody with a little height. So I'd probably say Will Smith, right? Because when you think about black actors, there aren't many that that are that are you know over six, you know two. So I'm six six. So it's got to be somebody of a little bit oh, wow. of stature. I didn't know. Uh, I would say LeBron, but LeBron's a horrible actor. A horrible <laughs> actor. So what? <laughs> You've never seen him get fouled on the court? I think he's an amazing. It's <laughs> so true. Oh no, he didn't. <laughs> You know what? Oh, In that context, you are 100% correct. <laughs> yes. You're 100% correct. <laughs> so <true>. his element. <laughs> yeah. So probably All on right. the floor after I made that comment, looking looking at the refs, going, did you see what Gabe just, did you, no one saw that? <laughs> that's a flagrant two on gums. Flagrant oh two. Oh, my God. Comes yeah, out no, that's, that is 100% correct right there. Yeah, Even, I can dive. I, that's a rabbit hole for me, by the way. So, yeah, that man. Well, even even picking Will Smith is a good one because I think he's he's got an incredible, an emotional oh, type yeah. of acting as well. Oh, yeah. He's um, got the, range. Well, growing up, I, I watched Fresh Brunch was one of my favorites, and I always got into fights with my friends because uh, I had another friend, Naji, that uh, he would always say that Martin was better. And I disagreed because I thought Fresh Prince, I don't know, there's just something different about Will Smith. I think he's a better actor. I've never heard anyone try to compare the two. That's a religious no, one I wouldn't no. get in the middle of. Yeah, I don't no, know. Maybe he had all. something against Will Smith, but. Because well, they're, they're so different, right? Martin was slapstick comedy mm-hmm. and, and Will Smith had comedy, but it was situational awareness, right? It was right. He was trying to bring topics to light. Right. With a little bit of humor behind them, but some you just couldn't find humor in. Right. You couldn't make it funny. Right. Um, but Martin was great. It was, it was slapstick oh. comedy. It was like, you, you know, um, so I, yeah, I would have never compared. I think it was because it was in the same era. Um, right. but, and also like Fresh Prince with uh, Uncle Phil. I forget his actual name, the, but he passed away. Yeah, the actor. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was awesome, too. But there was that one scene with when he was talking with him and about his like father. And I just, yeah. like, it's impossible oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. not to get emotional then. So yep. that's yeah, a good, that's a good choice. James regardless. Avery. James Avery. James, yes. James yes. Avery. He was on, so, what was he on out before that? Wasn't he like a judge or like so a, the wrong guy? Yes he, yes. he was a judge on another show on the people's court, not the people's court, but he was a judge. He did play yeah. a judge on another show. He did. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Cam, I do have to ask who's playing you and, and what type of movie is it? Oh, uh, me? And we don't uh, usually ask ourselves this question, but this is an interesting one. I, I want to know. I want to know the answer to that one. Oh man, um, right, we it would probably it would probably be like a comedy drama, and I would I would probably have to do like Jim Carrey just because I grew I up. You do Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey's perfect though. Carrey's yeah, perfect. I love Mr. Jim Carrey. <laughs> he's goofy, but he's also pretty good at other things too. He's a little easy on the eyes. <laughs> 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 um we'll go with an easy one if well actually this is a pretty hard one if if you uh let's say you have a time capsule you have to put one thing in there and then you get to open it back up in 10 years what would you put in there um a bitcoin Ooh. there you go sure. it's sure. a hot topic now too <laughs> look it's better than dogecoin i mean bitcoin has a limited number in circulation it, it can go up Yes. Yeah. At home. yeah. Financial advice, but please do not invest in Dodgeway. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how many people have jumped on it. They are not the kind of people that I want investing my money on my behalf. It, so that's good. It is. It is amazing. And I watched how much it's gone up. And, and like a buddy of mine, one of my fraternity brothers, 
um, sent me something on Instagram. He's like, my reaction when Dogecoin was still going up. And I looked at him like, it's gone up eight cents. Right. right? It's gone up eight cents over the like the last eight months. Right. Okay. Like <laughs> has no ecosystem. Yeah, I don't know what you plan on spending it on. It's it's crazy talk. Don't put any of those yeah. time caps. Yeah. Yeah. No. So yeah, that would that would be it for me. Yeah. Larry, this is a deep one. When you die, what do you what do you want to be remembered for? Um, honestly, so I want my legacy to be be ICMCP. I want ICMCP to be a part of the legacy that me and my co-founders built to try and change the diversity narrative in cyber. Like if, if awesome. anybody remembers anything about me when I die, I want them to remember that that was my passion. And that's what, right. Like, like that's what one of the things that drove me. That's what, that's what I want. And then I was kind, right. Because there are very few people um, uh, in our industry or on the planet for, for that, you know, fact that can say I've just been outright cruel to them. Uh, I try and live by a serious, my, my mother. So my mother harped on, right. She, she, despite our surroundings and despite our situation, right. My mother told my sister and I, you can be an accomplice anything. Right. And, and she, but she said, you got to follow God. Like if, if you don't do nothing else, if you don't listen to nothing else I've said, Right. Know that God is your creator and, 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 and stay focused on him. And I've I have, you know, diverted as most children who have parents and trying to get them to do. But um, if anybody remembered that that legacy of me and that that I I wore my face on my sleeve, those would be the two things I would want them to remember. I know. That's awesome. Yeah, my mom, my mom, same way. <clears throat> she was always just always helping other people. It's always giving good, good advice. I mean, we can take a moment to recognize moms because they are awesome. I do need to call mine. Speaking of, they are. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, Shout out to moms. I, I should call call mine on the way home. Yep. Shout out to moms. Shout out to moms. Shout out to moms. <laughs> there we go. A round of applause for moms. There. That's right. Um, <clears throat> As you can tell, I'm an open book. There's no hard questions for me. <laughs> I love it, man. That's why I'm trying to get some good ones for you. Um, oh. If if you were a pro wrestler, what would mm-hmm. you, what would your name be, and what would your entrance song be? <laughs> Ooh, now that's a hard one. So if I was a pro wrestler, um, um, oh, that's that's a very good one. Um, so smack a lot. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I, that would be I, your I, name. I don't know. Yeah, you know why? So. So honestly, when I think about physical contact, right, if you when you get into a fight or or any type of physical contact with people, physically hurting them is one thing, but embarrassing them Mm -hmm. is an additional piece on top of it. And so just getting straight smacked with an open hand to the face by another person is a physical bruising, but it is also embarrassing. It's like you just got slapped like a you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I, that's why I think about that, right? And I've got big hands. Like I don't, I don't have little hands. I got big hands, and so the size of my hands smacking someone against the face, I think, would be a thing. Um, would you go backhand or front? Oh, uh, yeah. You got to go both. Yeah, you, you got to go both. Like you got to go front 
and back, right? So you get your whole hip and shoulder into it, right? <laughs> you're coming across and then you're coming back, right? It's the whole torso turn, right? Yeah. Working on the core, right? It's keep, all, it's all, it's all keep the, the hips, just like, the, just like, yes. uh, just like golf. a golf swing. Yep. Exactly right. And you get that so, whip. Um, oh, and, um, and because I've said that now, of course, my song would have to be Smack That. Smack that. Smack that. Very nice. The judges will the judges will allow it. I love it. That's great. Um zombie apocalypse is coming. Who are the three people you want on your team? They cannot be anybody in your family. Dead or alive? Dead dead or alive. Judges. Um zombie apocalypse. Okay, so I would want um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay. I would want The Rock. It's a good choice. Good choice. Right. And then the third person would be my girl. Because, you know, I'm going to be horny. So I got <laughs> to be able to feed all sides. So I've got Brain and Neil deGrasse Tyson. I got Braun and The Rock. And then I got somebody for my own personal selfish needs with me there to keep me company and be my companion through it all. I, and she's smart as hell too. And she freaking she just did what was it four sixty five uh, leg press. So I think oh, she, wow. she could hold her on and keep up. <laughs> okay, I don't know. Yeah. So she's very strong, likes to work out, and intelligent. I feel like both yes. Neil and The Rock are going to give you a, sh- a run for your money. <laughs> <laughs> I'd oh, be in trouble. I'd be in trouble because with that one smarter than me, one's better looking than me. <laughs> so I'm going to have to step up my funny game, like. No, no. So, so listen, and I say this knowing that the rock is one of her guys, right? The rock is, you know, we've sort of got this, this list, a very short list that if Uh-oh. they shut up at the door, you got all pass lists. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you got one time, right? no questions asked. You got one time. Right. So I know the rock is one of her guys, Look, but I'm not mad at you. He's on, he's on my list, quite frankly, like <laughs> shows up at the door. I don't, I don't Apparently he's on that. 46% of Americans list to be the next president. At be least. the next president. Interesting, right? <clears throat> oh boy. Well, yeah. this has been fantastic, Larry. Um, thank you for participating. Thank you for your time. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for your organization. Um, the meaning behind it is super powerful and impactful. And it's just the world today needs more of that. And <clears throat> we need more unity. Um, so thank you for, for being passionate about that and, and being passionate about your industry and, and just trying to help. And I just think, I think you're doing a really awesome thing. So thank you for being on the show. It's, it's an honor to meet you. And, uh, I, I guess now I can call you a friend and a reoccurring guest. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Listen, I appreciate you guys, right? The, this platform, as you can tell, I have no problem running my mouth. So I love all <laughs> opportunities to do so. Um, but I really appreciate it. And the fact that both of y'all are right here in, in, in hometown, right? We just got to make sure we, you know, get together and, and uh, break bread soon, sooner rather than later. Indeed. Larry, agree. it's good to catch up with you. It's great to see you, if even only on on, uh, on this video link. I can't wait for us to actually do that and sit down in, in person. Look, for, for everyone in the community, thank you very much for what you have done and continue to do. Uh, I hope I hope the listeners really enjoyed this one. This, this was a special pleasure. Good to have you on, Larry. Thanks, where can the folks find you out in the wild? Out in the wild, find me on LinkedIn. Right, uh, I am the only Larry Whiteside Jr. on LinkedIn, so that's a that's a pretty pretty easy one. Um, you can also find me on Twitter again. Um, uh, what is it? It's at Larry Whiteside on Twitter. So pretty easy. 
um, uh, uh, pretty easy to find me. I'm a, I'm a social butterfly. So I'm out there Very you know, sharing my, sharing my note, my, uh, my message. And so, and ICMCP. So go to www.icmcp.org. Again, that's www.icmcp.org. Awesome. We're going to put all of that in the show notes and more. And folks, thanks again for joining in. Cam, take us out. I just wanted to thank all of you out there for tuning in each and every week. And to all of our amazing guests for coming on. I know that there are millions of other shows and it means the world to have you with us on this journey. We are so grateful that you choose to listen to us each and every week. If you like the show, tell a friend, have them tell their friends and then make, maybe make some new friends along the way uh, so we can continue to spread the word and keep learning together. Let's protect what matters most. And by the way, DJ, can you go ahead and drop that outro beat and keep it classy? We'll see y'all next week. <laughs>